Welcome to Knowing Not For Profits, a podcast series where Claris's consultants will be talking through some of the most pressing issues from the not-for-profit world, bringing together thought leaders and industry experts to discuss their real-life experiences on these topics. Welcome to the latest episode of Knowing Not For Profit, Claris's podcast that explores the charitable sector. I'm Sam McGuire. I'm our sustainability and impact lead at Claris's, and I'm really delighted to be joined by Chris McQueen, Associate Director of Strategy and Planning at the Stroke Association. We're going to be talking today about 2024 and what that might look like for not-for-profits. Chris, great to see you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your role at the Stroke Association and what the organization is trying to achieve? Sure. Thanks, Sam, and thanks for having me. The Stroke Association is a UK charity. We're concerned about people who have had a stroke. And our purpose really is to make sure that every stroke survivor gets the support and care that they need, because we really believe that recovery is possible after stroke. And we want to help stroke survivors move from just surviving a stroke to finding their way back to life and achieving as much recovery as they can. And so what we do to support that is we provide different kinds of support services. Our frontline staff visit people in their homes when they return from hospital. We have a helpline. We provide information in various ways. We also try to influence policy to make sure that stroke is the priority it needs to be in the health and social care system. We fund research into new treatments and new ways to help people recover. And uh, we raise money to support the work that we're doing. My role really is to make sure we're really clear about our purpose as an organization and that we've got clear outcomes that we're aiming for and that we're creating the kind of conditions where people are really empowered to overcome the problems that are holding us back and preventing those outcomes, particularly in a a very complex world in which we operate. It's really important to be trying things rather than just sort of trying to predict what would happen. We need to test and learn. So it's trying to create the kind of environment where we're constantly trying new things and then putting our efforts behind what, what we find works. Amazing. It's such a fabulous organization, the Stroke Association. And your kind of acknowledgement there about the importance of testing and learning actually leads me on really nicely to my first question. How would you reflect on kind of 2023, both for yourselves within the Stroke Association, but also in the, in the charity sector? What are the lessons that you would take into 2024 from your experiments, from the things that you've tried? Yeah. And I think I would characterize 2023 as a pretty turbulent year. You know, COVID seemed some time ago, but we're still sort of, in many respects, trying to recover back what was lost through COVID, this massive shock and disruption. And in the world of stroke, you know, many of the sort of indicators we use to to tell us how well people are being treated and supported in, in recovery many of those took a real hit as a result of the pandemic. And in a sense, you know, we're still trying to sort of recover uh, what was lost. I think another hugely important characteristic of 2023 has been the cost of living crisis. And that's been squeezing both the income we can raise and the costs of providing the services that we provide. And I think now the, the evidence is that the cost of living crisis is is both longer and deeper than the pandemic was in terms of its impact on charities and their sustainability. 
And I think, you know, the road back to post the cost of living crisis is is still quite a long way off. You know, it's going to be a slow road back. And I think that's affecting many charities in the sector, many of the smaller ones. We're seeing higher rates of, of charity closure, often kind of kind of unseen, perhaps. But even among some of the bigger ones, you know, got charities like Oxfam and the the, the threat and strike action sort of unprecedented in their history. So it's really affecting the sector quite profoundly. And then for us as a charity, we're really strongly tied to the health and social care system. And I don't think there's probably been as turbulent a year for the health system other than the pandemic itself. I mean, there've been all kinds of of headlines in 2023, reports of a, a fall in public satisfaction with health and social care increases in ambulance waiting times, elective surgery and all those sorts of things. Levels of excess deaths, that's front page news in today's papers, is the number of deaths that are taking place from preventable conditions because the system is under such pressure. Workload pressure, high vacancy rates, staff surveys showing, you know, increasing sickness of health and care staff due to stress. Many parts of the system are still trying to absorb budget cuts that are taking a lot of energy, and the kind of list goes on. So, you know, it's been a really challenging time for the health and care system. And and that, of course, affects those charities that work in partnership with the health system and are trying to advocate and influence for better treatment and care. Probably the last sort of feature of 2023, I would mention, would be the sort of the cost of living is is further exacerbating sort of inequalities in the country where, you know, where you live has a profound impact on your needs and the likelihood that you will suffer poor health and the kind of treatment you get when you do. So as a charity, you know, that that also makes it challenging in this sort of postcode lottery of where do we put our effort when there's such variation in what people are receiving. In terms of lessons learned, I think We've really learned the importance of a diverse range of income sources, where in something like the cost of living crisis, some of our income sources are really challenged, really under pressure, whereas others are relatively untouched. So that's been really important for us. And I think it's confirmed for us the need to try to achieve even better balance between the different sources of income be they sort of from legacies or public sector grants and contracts, grants from trusts, and, and also the sort of fundraising with uh, individual donors. I think another lesson for us is just re-emphasizing the importance of agility and responsiveness. I think like many organizations, during the pandemic, we surprised ourselves with how quickly we were able to move all of our services online. And we wanted to sort of retain that kind of agility we've managed to demonstrate. But Probably like many, we've reverted back to the old, more sort of bureaucratic ways of operating. But I think the ongoing turbulence in in the world in which we are working has reinforced the importance of being agile, of being able to rapidly understand the kind of problems that are emerging, test some solutions, and then back the ones that seem most promising and trying to deliver those changes at pace. I think another lesson has been the importance of flexible working. Uh, we can't compete with the private sector on the salaries we offer people, but we can compete with the flexibility of working arrangements and the other kinds of benefits around that. 
we're a fully remote working organization and a lot of our people sort of appreciate that. They can organize their home life and work life in a much more flexible way. So that's been important in being able to attract and retain staff during very difficult financial times. I think the final lesson I would say has been, you know, the importance of working positively in partnership with others. You know, the crisis facing the health system is so acute that for a charity like ours, just to be critical and saying things should be better, that's not very helpful. We need to be building relationships with decision makers in the health and care system, sort of understanding the challenges they're facing from their perspective and what they're trying to achieve and sort of identifying those things that we can support them with and working collectively and bringing people together across the kind of private, public and third sectors to work together on trying to find solutions within the constraints that sort of currently exist. Chris, thanks so much for sharing that. There's a couple of points that I just find super interesting. The agility point in particular, I think most organizations now are recognizing that the volatility of COVID, of Brexit, of cost of living crisis isn't necessarily going to go away. It's more and more volatile. Crisis has really helped galvanize people around it. They want to be more intentional and get ahead of those processes and be able to kind of manage their way kind of through them rather than have them thrust onto them. That agility point, I think, is really interesting. And then the second one in terms of how you guys are looking to contribute to health system change and be part of it is really interesting. I think we can see that if it is a Labour government, they're calling for reform rather than just kind of mass spend. So I think being part of that system change is going to be really important rather than, again, having it done to you and not being part of it. I think it's going to be really critical. So that was obviously a look back and kind of on the lessons you take forward. If we were here next year doing another podcast, what do you think would be the major things that you think will have changed for the sector and for Stroke Association? I'm certain there will have been some big changes, but such is the kind of uncertainty that it's quite difficult to predict what some of them might be. I mean, political, obviously, by this time next year, we may well have had a general election. If not, one will probably have been called. And so, you know, there may be some new political thinking and new relationships, new opportunities to partner and influence. On the economic front, as I said, I think it's probably a long haul to get through these high interest rates, high inflation, high cost of living situation. So much as we would love things to be improving, I, I suspect those pressures will still be there. And global instability and the opportunity that that might have a, an adverse impact on things, you know, things still looking really precarious in Ukraine and, and elsewhere. So I think it will continue to be a year of, of uncertainty and turbulence. So your point, I think, about being agile is really important. I think one change we can probably be more certain of is, you know, we're seeing this rapid development of AI capabilities and applications. I don't know how other charities compare with us, but we've sort of been dabbling with AI. And I would expect by this time next year, more third sector organizations will be making more substantive use of AI in their sort of operations. And I think to do that, they'll have to sort of understand how do they really want to use it? What are the important principles that will guide where they do and don't use these emerging 
capabilities and also how they ensure the kind of safety and, and put the right safeguards in place. You know, just because you can with AI doesn't necessarily mean you should. And I think if you are a strongly kind of purpose-led organization as charities are, they may not apply AI in, in quite the same way as a very commercial organization. But nevertheless, there are huge opportunities for cost saving, for improving the quality of data analysis, for sort of relegating unproductive processes and semi-automating them and, and, and focusing more on the kind of human contact that are often is what charities offer so well. So I think that will be, a, I'd see a much more substantive use of AI. I think the third thing I would say is, you know, it's, it's a gradual change year by year, but each year, the number of Generation Z millennials in our staff, volunteers, supporters is sort of gradually increasing the number of baby boomers and Gen X sort of decreasing. And, and with that sort of coming through of the younger generations, our differences in how they like to give and support charities, differences in how they use social media, differences in their expectations about technology. And so I think charities will need to be responsive to that ongoing shift in order to avoid sort of being left behind or failing to sort of match the expectations of their audiences. That's really interesting because you talked to two areas of innovation there. So AI, but also then potentially use of social media to, to, I guess, connect with the TikTok generation. Are there any other innovations that you're seeing uh, within the not-for-profit sector that you think are quite exciting? I think Probably some of us have been a little slower to embrace the kind of, you might call them customer-first, customer-centric, customer experience-led use of technology. And, you know, I think in the private sector, organizations that we recognize as being very good at providing a good customer experience are using technology and data and iterating that to keep kind of improving on the way that they present themselves, the things they're offering to customers are sort of continually sort of getting better and better. You know, this is something we aspire to do much better. We recognize we're needing to develop capabilities to be able to sort of rapidly iterate what we offer, how we present ourselves through our website and other channels, using feedback data to sort of constantly improve the products and services that we're offering both to supporters and to beneficiaries. So I think it's innovative for the third sector, I suspect, but following the lead of, of private sector and the best sort of social enterprises out there. And Chris, for you guys, who are your customers? When you talk about customer experience for the Stroke Association, who are yeah. customers? Yeah, and we have a range of different sort of customer groups, our primary focus is on to people who've experienced a stroke, stroke survivors and their immediate families and the sort of support we're providing. But, you know, many people who've had a stroke, they want to give something back. They want to volunteer for us or they want to be involved in supporting us in some way. We also, you know, another customer group is is our supporter base, the people who who give money or time or raise their voice on our behalf. We also have customers within the health and social care system. We deliver services to 
commissioners and we sort of partner and work with health professionals in the system. And then we have a research community who we support financially and we're seeking to build up a sort of community of stroke researchers, sort of academics who will lead the way in the future in generating new treatments for stroke. So these customer groups all have different needs and wants, and it's a constant process of wanting to understand them better, understand their needs better, be better at adapting what we do to meet those needs, be better at learning what's working and continuously improving. I think that's really important to reach your purpose or to meet your purpose is to get that customer experience kind of bang on. Definitely that resonates. The last question I have for you, Chris, we've obviously talked a lot about the reality, but if we put our heads in magic Christmas mode, and if we thought about three magic wishes that you might have for 2024, what would they be? They're quite big, but hey, if you get a choice, you go big. <laughs> Gotta go big. So, I think for the third sector, I'd love to see the value of third sector organizations being more formally recognized, particularly by the public sector, so that, you know, the incredibly important work that third sector organizations do in communities to support people in supporting people's well-being individually and socially in addressing causes and concerns that where the state can only do so much. I'd love to see a more positive relationship between the public sector and, and the third sector, a, a willingness to engage more readily. There's a problem right now in that, you know, the public sector does does fund a lot of charitable work, but the value of those contracts is eroding in real terms year by year. And more and more charities are finding they're having to subsidize these services to a greater extent. And many are very much on the brink of not being able to afford to do that. So that would be one wish, just a recognizing the strategic value of charities and making sure that they're funded adequately to do this critical work in partnership with the public sector. I think the second wish, <laughs> equally big, would be around the health system. And, and you know, at the moment, it staggers from one crisis to the next, and, and all the decisions are very short-term trying to fight the fires. And we have a rapidly emerging sort of challenge of, a, of a, an aging population that is living with more chronic health conditions. And the system as it currently stands needs to be focusing much more on how it's going to cope with that. So we need to move from short-term firefighting to building and putting in place the kind of system that will be able to meet the rapidly increasing needs of the future, where we have to prevent people falling into ill health rather than have this huge crisis of how to treat them when they do. So that would be long-term thinking and the investment in the health service. And third one would very selfishly would be a breakthrough in sort of stroke treatment or care that would see many more people not suffering the kind of disabilities that stroke causes and which can be so devastating. So some kind of breakthrough in how we can treat people that dramatically reduces that kind of disability. Pretty great wishes there, Chris. Unsurprising as a strategist that you picked some long <laughs> And I think we can all get behind that desire to see a breakthrough in, in, in stroke treatment. Chris, thank you so much kind of for joining me today and, and talking us through your thoughts on the not-for-profit sector. If people want to hear more about Stroke Association, is there particular places you'd like them to go to? 
Yes, if you go to strokeassociation.org.uk, our website, you'll find lots of information there. Fantastic. Thanks again, Chris. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Knowing Not For Profits. We hope you enjoyed it and look forward to welcoming you back on our next episode. If you have a topic that you would like covered on the show or want more information on the topics discussed, please drop us an email at podcast at We'd love to hear from you.